Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Spooky nerds, and welcome to Talking Strange, a paranormal pop culture show with the Den of Geek Network. As always, I am your host, journalist, author, researcher of weird things, Aaron Sagers, also from 28 Days Haunted on Netflix and Paranormal Caught on Camera on Travel Channel and the Max streaming service now airing its sixth season. And this round, right now, we are doing the mask. We're doing the monster mask, and it is a graveyard smash. And from the world of writer and creator David Dasmalshian and artist Lucas Kettner's hit Dark Horse comic series, Count Crowley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter, comes two exclusive silicon masks from Immortal Masks, leaders in the silicone masks and custom creature world. And those masks include Jerry Bartman, the now mediocre monster hunter herself, as well as her nefarious fanged foe, Hubert the Vampire. And to talk about the comic characters brought to the real world available now at immortalmask.com, we have the creator of the characters and of the creature mask altogether, writer actor and fellow spooky nerd David Dasmalshian and Immortal Masks co-owner George Frangidakis. Guys, here we are. It's How are it you? is happening. Oh it man, happening. it's so good to see you dude. I you know I love you. You're such an awesome monster kid and thanks for letting us come talk about this and I'm so excited to be here with yeah, my thanks buddy. for us uh, and, and, and visiting us in our shop for uh we're live from the sculpting room of Immortal Masks and you can see in the background here wave to the camera that's andrew freeman he's working on a, on a mask right now actually for the company and uh where are you patrick that's patrick matthews hi patrick <laughs> he's hey, in the patrick. back right now spoking to you you guys are like in the heart the, the the belly of the beast right now there's the north pole where santa's elves make uh you know toys for christmas and then there's the basement of hell which is where we are where the demons are sculpting all the monsters uh for oh, halloween God. It's nice and warm. It's a good yeah, well, it's all right. I like it. You know, it's good meats here. <laughs> Santa has his little helpers. Satan has his little helpers. Yeah. So somewhere in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> um well I, I want to find out about just the relationship between you, David, and George, and then just Immortal Mass overall. Before we get into the the guts of this thing, how do you guys know each other? Is it just because you're all nerds together? Take it away, David. Oh. It's 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 the it's the magic of movies and and monsters. George uh, was in special effects makeup and doing incredible work when I was starting my acting career. And we our lives intersected on not one, not two, but three independent um, films back in the day. Yeah, and we, 12, 13 years ago, eh, longer. Yeah. I mean, it was fourteen yeah. years, fifteen years ago. Yeah, but crazy. one of the first people I met when I moved to Los Angeles. We also worked together in New York. And we just stayed 
cool. You know, you meet certain people in this work who you love and you bond with and, and we, we, we stayed close. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, uh, I think you, it, it, I've noticed this by working on different like projects and films, like you develop your, um, your acquaintances, you develop the people you work with, and then you have this smaller group that's like family. Yeah. Yeah. And then you always kind of, you know, that no matter where you are in the world, you can reconnect as like a day never passed. That's been this guy with me for years now. And, yeah. yeah. And it's really cool for me because I watched from afar as George made a major pivot in his career, he went from, you know, just working on film sets and doing special effects makeup to, you know, becoming a partner at one of the most kick-ass companies in the world of, you know, monsters. And then for me, my career just continued to grow in, in the acting and George would check in and be like, oh, dude, I just saw this thing or wow, that's so cool. And then the comic book and my we, writing life took the off. The people around him in the early days of things knew <laughs> this guy was the there's an knew that I would someday be arrested for yeah. <laughs> no. There's a, there's a weird. I, I I gotta find it sometime. There's uh there's a, a Comic Con interview back when we were doing Sushi Girl, and um I remember that they asked it was like asking about like who to watch for and. And I was like, this guy. Oh, thanks, was just, man. I mean, like, thanks. yeah, it was, well, you know, thanks. shows, so. Well, we were, you know, it's like, Aaron, like, when I met you, like, you know, there's a lot of people that, um, you know, uh, have different involvements in our industry, and that's fine. We need, you know, people for all the different sides of it. But when you read the, when you meet and know the real Monster Kids and the guys that, like, that live and breathe and die this stuff, like, that's, uh, I always knew that about George early on. And Yeah. Know, yeah. You know. That's funny because that's that's like what you're even saying is like a big reason why this company even exists. Like, I as I, you know, I came to LA to be to work in Hollywood and we're gonna yeah yeah yeah. Stuff. But I was the kid that you know like grew up, uh, you know, planning my Halloween costume out in like you know early spring and you know you might as you should yeah. I don't right, understand like, people. Yes. They don't know what they are yet. It's September, folks. How do people not know what they are? <laughs> right, this year? right, totally. And so 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 then you know even if you ask my parents now, like you know you know i own a mask company like that's exactly what we should have been doing and, and so i think the fun part is we get to still work on film television and, and, and sure. music and all this fun all, all my fun you know yeah stuff. i don't want to be interviewer i don't want to take aaron's job from him but it, it, i i do think it's it's a cool story because freeman andrew freeman who founded the the company like how did that i i know you've told me before but like so you're working in movies and then andrew had so, uh, uh, sorry, Aaron. I, I was gonna. Well, you're asking great questions, David, because that's where I was gonna go to next. I actually I wanted to find out about Genesis. the the monster origins of Immortal Masks, because uh, I know George, you, and then Andrew and Michelle Freeman. You guys are all uh, kind of co-creators, mad scientists of this amazing operation. So, talk about the origins of that. So, so like like David was saying, um, we met uh, working. Uh, on, on movies and at that time I was working for another company um, and and uh, that's where I met who become my future partner Andrew Freeman again wave Andrew <laughs> um, so so uh, um, we met what working at another, another um, effects studio like, like many people and I think that short relationships in the industry you start somewhere and yeah I think that's you always have these interesting um, bond if you're start at the same place together you know totally so, so Andrew was like a, was a lead sculptor, and I was the studio supervisor of a, of a shop. And um, and like anything else, you you start to kind of grow, and eventually you kind of want to move on to your own thing. Sure. Um, so I I and I wasn't sure what that was going to be because I it, it was just wasn't working for me where I was at the time. And Andrew had already started this company 
uh, in his garage, like any great success story, it started in the garage. Um, and so Immortal Mass was already founded when when Andrew and I uh, had met. Um, so to speed it up a bit, I, I left that that studio um, and then so did Andrew. And then so did a couple other people that we're, we're friends with, other artists too. Um, it was just kind of a coincidental, like it was just time to move on type thing. Uh, and um, I was actually working with Destin Thoth. I don't even know that, but um, uh, a, a, a producer and writer, Sushi Girl, uh, about possibly maybe getting out of effects and going into producing. Uh, when I got a call from this guy behind me and goes, hey, uh, would you want to come take a look at my mask company? And I said, no. <laughs> uh, I, I was like, I thought I was over effects for a minute. I was like, ah, I don't think so, dude. I, I think I'm just going to try maybe writing or something. Um, and then uh, um, reality kicked in. I had, a, I had a newborn at the time. And I was like, ah, I, I kind of need a job, though. So, okay, I'll come check it out. And so I did. I, uh, I showed up and uh, and I actually came in as an employee. Um, and so Andrew hired me as a, as a supervisor to kind of set the groundwork for what would become our company. Um, and uh, he's an absolutely um, amazing artist. And he was lucky enough to, uh, he, he had an original partner he bought out that wasn't working out. And and then he brought his wife in, which is our third partner, Michelle, and she'll pop in here in a minute. And um, and I came in as the, to run the company um, as a supervisor. And, and I think maybe it was like three to six months into the whole thing. Um, it was just obvious that this was a good fit. And, um, and uh, I, I didn't want to, job anymore i wanted a career and i put it out on the table i said hey why don't we um partner and make this a thing when did face off happen in that space um, of time well so funny um face off came around the first time at at right when this was happening and andrew actually had to kind of uh in a roundabout way decline it um in our first year because he was this, so busy yeah right we're, start, we're yeah. starting a company yeah. and so like it was like that nah, you can't go do it dude so like bail out get out of the, you know and so he, he did uh, and then I think about two or three years later, they came uh, creeping back around again. Maybe it was like three or four years later, actually. Uh, and at that point in time, I was like, We're, we got this, go, go. Go do it. Yeah. yeah. And so um, he did. And if and, and so he went and he won, which was awesome. So season 12, the last uh, last uh, season of Face Off, Andrew Freeman was the champion, which we all knew he would be. Uh, look at that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. I mean, it, like we we had, you know, and, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him even more props right now because that's a makeup effect show, right? And right. so, you know, going into it as friends and, and partners, there was a little bit of strategizing kind of in there, you know, work on these kind of makeups, do this kind of stuff. And he's like, what about silicone masks? I'm like, no, don't do silicone masks. You know, it's 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 hard you know they're gonna be they're all geared for foam latex and you know you did that before you know how to do makeups and then he went and he did the finale and glenn hendrick said uh the finale is going to be uh, a haunt which kind of was like right up our alley and then uh and i like to see silicone he's like screw it i'm doing silicone masks um so the dude figured out how to do silicone masks like in a day <laughs> um which is pretty amazing so um, nuts and he won face off doing what we do best and uh certainly i love that show and the fact that it really kind of started bringing outside of like the hardcore kind of monster kids and the the horror nerds, it sort of brought the language into the mainstream a little bit more. And I think I would argue that that's also what's happening with Immortal Masks is that we're seeing these Hollywood level creations, but they're available in the mainstream for people to purchase. And that's just a beautiful thing and and, and amazing products. Thanks. And yet, that's, that's exactly what we wanted to do. That, well, we thought but, there'd be, there, had, there had to be more people like us out there. Like when we we grew up like wanting, like I wanted the Predator, you know, like like I watched the movie. I was like, how do I get that? I, I want to be that. Um, and so we kind of banked on the fact that there's maybe more of us out there, um, that if we made these things available to the general public, 
um, that we would we would connect with them and through the you know the internet and word of mouth and guys like this guy here supporting us um, we were able to connect to a lot of people in the in the company was kind of off and running and yet there's this element that it's one thing to be doing masks that that even though they're original concepts they look classic and iconic and it's another thing to be doing officially licensed masks like art the clown from terrifier but then we're entering this whole other level where you're bringing this character on the two-dimensional page and bringing it to life so those initial conversations how what did those look like as far as hey i've got this comic book and i want to get some mass made of it uh sure sure go off Uh, go with that dream i mean here's i've always believed that the success in my journey as a storyteller is in dreaming as big as possible and being as authentic to myself and the visions that live inside my crazy brain as possible Count Crowley is a summation of all of that in so many ways. So the fact that I'm doing the publishing deal and getting to make a comic book based on this character in this world to me is such a dream. And then the thought of masks and mask making um, was something that really just, uh, it, it was something that I couldn't get out of my head. And because George is a friend, I wanted to just talk to him about, look, I understand this is not a IP that is as expansive or as far reaching as some of the larger, you know, uh, studio IPs that they work with. Obviously, you already mentioned like with Art the Clown and Terrifier. That's something that everybody knows. So many people have seen those films, and that's a character that's well established with a, a, a comic book character who is, we have a great following, and I love our fans and anybody who's watching that's a Crowley reader. I love you. But I knew that. Um, instinctually for, you know, the idea of a mask, especially at this level and quality to work, it would need to um, be something that appealed to people, whether they're familiar with Count Crowley or not. And George reaffirmed that when we met, because he was like, dude, your characters and Lucas, who is my artist, his designs are so badass. I think that they're going to appeal to people who haven't even maybe read Count Crowley yet. And that was a, that I was comfortable out the gate with that being like, Great, because what could happen is people just wear a kick-ass mask for Halloween, and we know in our hearts that came from our imaginations and this world that we've created. It could also have people like fall in love with their mask and then be like, oh, now I want to know more about this world. Because in my dream, my biggest dream is that we get to keep doing these, and there's so many more fun characters to come, you know? Well, and that that was that was it. Like, um, like he he created the um they're like the riffs on iconic imagery like yes like, like david has your classic monsters in there um and then he has a relatable anti-hero like you know um which was awesome because that's kind of the world that we're appealing to you know like like um our audience um is both introduced to characters that we introduce them to and then back at us so so like this was a good bridge of the you know, bridging the gap thing this was a type of ip that i i like doing um, we did one with uh, with Sideshow Collectibles. The yeah, Court, the Court of the, Court Dead. Of the Dead. Right, and so we, we were like really big fans of Court of the Dead, but like most people know Sideshow for like, you know, Iron Man statues and, and things like that. Um, but we were like, oh, well, that's our audience. You know, that's those are the people that we were, we were appealing to. That's the that's the haunted attraction people. That's the, you know, and they don't even have to know about it because this fits into their world. Yes. And it was the same thing with, with all the characters that he created. 
um, we saw this. We're like, well, you know, you have a unique take on these things. Thanks. These would translate really well to a three-dimensional image and something that somebody can wear and and act out and be and you know and and get into. And we're getting a really good response to these, by the way. <laughs> and I, yeah, well, so, my, so. like for J Jerry Bartman, for example, who's yeah. the hero of the show, that's Count Crowley. Yeah. But let's say you don't read Count Crowley yet, or maybe you've just seen the covers right. in a comic shop, or you've seen you know posters at comic cons and stuff like. What I love about the, the 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 look of that, and now as a mask, is it's like, that's a kick-ass ghoul. That's like a kick-ass character that you could dress any way you wanted. And it's also, to me, almost got a Susie Sue or like, you know, 80s goth ghoul vibe to it. But yet somebody who knows Jerry sees that mask at a convention, somebody wearing that at a, at a, at a, at a party is going to be like, holy shit, that's Count Crowley, yeah, you know? Like, it was just... It was one of those things where like every once in a while you do a mask, you're like, yeah, I think it's going to be cool. And then, and then you do it and then you put it on an actor or actress and you're like, wow, that really worked out well. And, and it was like, as soon as we got this on, like made it and got it on. And if you go to our website and, and go to the, 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 the page for this mask, yeah. you'll see the movement video. And it's like the same comment we get for everybody is, wow, I can't believe that was a mask. Like it, it really worked well. It looks like, like a makeup. It was one of those ones where I'm like, Ooh, that was good. Yeah. Um, well, so, so Yeah. That's and that's something I want to hone in a little bit more on, George, because, yes, I mean, sure, Jerry on the page is evoking these classic horror movie hosts and goth chicks. And you could easily, you know, have a feminine face, white, white paint, you know, grease paint, fright wig. And yet this mask, it does look like a real person. There is this defined bone structure and. And that was immediately what I wanted to know about was, well, who was Jerry in the real world? How, how I mean, the conversations that you had and, and Andrew and the creative team had with David, what questions were you asking about? OK, well, what does she look like? What's her jawline look like? What what does this person how do they exist in the real world? What do they look like in the real world? What were those questions that you were asking David as a creator? Well, I mean, one was more, when they was actually more specifics, like how do we do the hair, what, you know, things like it was little little things like that. As and, far and they as, were very they were very careful or not uh, sensitive to right. being like, oh, we want to make sure we're honoring your character. So like, if we do this, what do you think about that? If we did right. this, how does this feel? Because we feel like this might lend itself more to the silicone mask design that maybe is a little bit of a, 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 a click from the thing. Go ahead. Yeah, if I can jump in. Yeah, yeah. This is Andrew. Okay. One, one thing that really helped uh, was, you know, we, uh, David sent us a bunch of imagery from the comic books, uh, you know, and, you know, and then we, you know, read the comics and kind of, you know, I, I wanted to try to find panels from the actual comic book that, because, you know, the comic book is image-based and what we do is very image-based. I wanted to try to find certain images that really spoke to the character. So I would say, you know, by going over these, you know, different panels of the art, uh, trying to find the most, uh, I don't know, expressive, you know, uh, panels that would kind of characterize, you know, each each character. I don't have the specific one that we use for Hubert, but there's one particular panel where his mouth was really distended. And uh, that kind of served as the inspiration that we uh, actually went and, and did like a little 3D uh, maquette, which is uh, this guy here. So we're able to kind of like basically take, take the 2D art uh, kind of do like a little, a little like uh, idea, kind of like a, a 3D model sketch that can be 3D printed basically while we're sleeping. And then the next day, uh, kind of like talk about this as a 3D image. 
and then it's much easier to translate that into a life-size wearable mask but right. uh, yeah it's it's all it's definitely a lot of communication and uh and and, and trying to keep uh you know true to the imagery from the comic book and then on, on jerry it was more about um subtleties because like um the smeared makeup right the, 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 so we were talking about like the, like the sculptural form of like of of jerry um we chose to not really um push the design aspects there and it paid off because um it's like simple little things like just a bit of rounding here at the nose upturn just a little bit things that we saw in those panels that andrew was talking about that when like if you saw the actress who was wearing the mask um you would go oh my god they don't look anything alike right right so right. that's how effective the subtleties in, in the sculpture were and then the rest was just translating the makeup so making it a permanent makeup making it so that so and wouldn't you say, would you guys agree, I feel like the the Crowley design that Lucas created, because that was always a, something that I wanted, but I didn't know how to properly describe, evokes something that, because I've had, like I've worn, and guys have worn the mask too. There is something uh -huh. almost like neutralizing gender-wise yeah. that like, I think anybody right. could wear that mask and pull off right. Count yeah. Crowley. Right, and the, I mean, the, you know, I like the idea that, you know, the, the reluctant, you know, vampire hunter is also almost like a, an everyday kind of person it could be you know it, you know it, okay. basically when you when you put on the masks a lot of like expression comes from the actual wearer's eyes and stuff so i feel like yeah like we didn't want to do like an angelina jolie kind of bone yeah. structure so yeah. that would overpower the character this is i feel like you know like the character that count Crowley's, it's like a, an everyday kind of you know and it sits so well on people's right faces. and that's the biggest thing that was like that's why it translated so well to any any wearer. That was the thing. It was yeah. like crazy. Like who can put this on? Right. Anybody. Yeah. yeah. To borrow to borrow a phrase from a separate IP, anyone can wear the mask. <laughs> the I, and David, I want you to tell me and as much uh, both your reaction and if you can speak to Lucas's reaction of when you saw the Jerry mask initially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you said, "Yep, that's that's the Jerry that I created. And if you could speak to sort of Lucas's reaction as well, like that's Jerry. Yeah. It came in a photo first um, because I'd been to the studio and been hanging out with the guys and talking a lot about, and I came to visit and it was really cool to see that they had already printed up a bike there. This is the magic shop in here. And at that moment, while they were working on these sculpts and designs, the walls were kind of covered with Crowley imagery and stuff. And then George sent me, um, some test photos of they were playing with painting, uh, you know, a look and design. And I, I freaked out. Like I was so excited. My immediately wanted to get on the phone and call him and like give my input and thoughts. Lucas, who is as dark as his artwork has been, anyone who's a fan of Lucas Kettner's artwork, he has made the most violent stuff in comics I've seen. And it's so beautiful and he's so talented and gifted. He's like our Bernie Wrightson, but he doesn't, usually curse ever and i wish I, I i was like i should dig back through the text we text a lot uh but when he i sent him the first images i think it was just all caps holy shit uh which is pretty great That's what we hear. that guy doesn't cuss uh <laughs> and he was he was so excited man um isn't it it's weird when lucas and i started looking back on this because we've been on this journey together for a long time when we used to daydream about what count crowley could be and where we could go with it on top of the stories and the plots that we're developing and that I'm continuing to to explore, we did always say like, how rad would it be someday if there was a mask? And now there's not one mask, there's a Jerry mask. 
Then the Hubert mask came in, and I freaked out. Oh, look who's here. Andrew and has a visitor. Ah, here we have another. Here's, uh, here's a lifeblood of a immortal mask. Come over we, here. Get, we've get got lifeblood. Life yeah, this is Michelle Freeman. Hi, Michelle. Um, so, How are you doing? So she's a uh, she's the one that tolerates us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> up with, everybody. Yeah, put, puts up with our our weird stuff, and then um and makes sure that we're uh we're also at times normal human beings <laughs> by doing I'm things sorry. like at times I'm just as weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's she, she's she's yeah. It's such her, like a it's like a it's it's like a clubhouse for monster kids. I love coming out here because you walk in the door, the dog is there. You're on the <laughs> phone talking to like customers or clients and making sure everything is going the way it needs to go. And as soon as you walk in the door, there's just monster gack everywhere. Posters and there's sculptures and there's masks. I I love it. Uh, you guys have created like a very uh, is, a home here. This you know? is my LA family. You know, I, I'm I'm the transplant. I'm from the Bay Area and. <laughs> So when I came out here, it's like, you're always, you don't know, you know, you're, you, it takes a while to figure out if you're fitting into the town that is becoming your home, but to have people that become your family, um, you know, helps you become uh, rooted in, in there. And so I'm lucky, very lucky to have both Andrew and Michelle as, as both my business partners, but my, my family here. And so, and, and because I, I actually come from mostly a family business background, I worked for my grandfather, worked for my dad, you know, um, it's, it's interesting because that's all I know. So we run this company and no matter how weird and big and this machine has been getting over the years, it's still run like a family business. Like you said, you walk in, there's the dog and there's, you know, and, and so, and, that, and we don't oh, I need some different. more, um, uh, I need some more hoodies, by the way. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the other newborn, the second newborn of this monster family that oh, is yeah, growing. Yeah. And that's Hubert, the vampire, the mask. Sure. And yeah, yeah. the, with Hubert, you know, we've had a lot of vampire characters and creatures out there in comics and in cinema and and, you know, Immortal has done vampiric creatures before. So talk about the approach to Huber and bringing him to life and what were some of the specific elements that you really wanted to hit on for this monster? Well, it's interesting. So like so exactly you kind of hit the nail on the head on that one, because. When we were examining the different possibilities of, of of characters from the book to do, you know, we're like, okay, well, he's got a you know, he's got a kind of a Frank character, and he's got kind of a, a werewolf character, and like, okay, well, we have those in our catalog, you know, so like, we don't want one to compete with the other one um, so much, and then and we're introducing a new like uh, world right, to, right. To, to, to 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 people, so it's like if you're not yet familiar with Count Crowley and you're not already like, oh, I'm a diehard Stephen the Werewolf fan, right. or I'm a diehard, you know, uh, Dave the Billetombia zombie fan, like right. what's going to grab your attention? And so that's why I had to defer completely to these guys to just, because I was like, I'm lucky that there's already a Jerry Matt. Then when <laughs> they wanted to do a monster, I was like, what is your strategy for that? Well, you know, and I think Andrew said that, said it best. He saw this. You know, we we first we just turned to the artwork, you know, looking in the comics. Yeah, yeah, and like, and then you know, it's like, what grabbed you? You know, what what what? You know, and he and again, Andrew like said it was this panel that that was really based off this with the 3D uh, print became um, where it was just this. We're like, it's the mouth, you know. Like it, we look at little things like that. What's the thing that we're gonna we're gonna build it off of? <laughs> sharp it is you um and so that was kind of where we started from and we're like and i think it, it's it's great because it's there's an organic thing that happens even when we're working with an ip and especially with working with this one um and andrew can jump in on this one because I, I know he's gonna he, he, he felt i watched him 
I love watching him work. So that so was that George was texting there. me and being like, dude, I, Andrew is like going to town. I know. It's like as I watch, I see when all of a sudden it just turns on and like he I watch Andrew get into it, you know, like and like well, I think, yeah. like from an artistic standpoint, uh, I think you know, most artists want to have uh some kind of emotional impact with their audience. So uh, you know, something I like to do is try to kind of dissect the psychology, I guess, of, of a character and you know, that panel that stood out with the distended jaw and the jutting out teeth, it was very primal. And in my opinion, it, it kind of struck a chord as like, oh, you know, this can, you know, uh, immediately scare people because it, it kind of, you know, taps into that kind of primal instinct that we, we as humans still have, but like maybe don't recognize all the time. For instance, if you're walking down the street and you saw a, a stray dog and you went to pet it, and it bared its teeth and yeah instinctually we know you know leave it alone otherwise it's gonna bite you um you know I, that's the program programming that we still have as humans so to use some of that psychology and try to tap that into uh you know the mask i feel like it it gives it more of a, a primal fear totally yeah. fear. So and there's that whole level it's like freaking like filmmaking but in mask work totally. you know yeah. well and then uh, Aaron, to kind of go to your point earlier like you're right we had a bunch of vampires in our catalog you know and then we we're in this position now in our company where it's like we're you know when you start a company you got you do like oh i need a vampire character or i need a this and then as your company gets bigger you realize that well i i have the ability now to make a couple different ones because i may not this might not be your flavor of vampire you know like so let's do the more bat looking one or let's do the buffy brow one and and so we had a bunch of vampires and we were like and then this one came along we're like but we don't have this you know yeah. at all and so it really worked as not only honoring um their work but it worked in honoring the catalog too like like we didn't have that you know they, they it, whether it was their design we didn't have anything like this and um and so it it, it i watched like i said i was watching i get to watch him work sculpt you know that that's that's a a privilege of mine as being his friend and and partners that i get to see him i see the spark you know when andrew starts getting into something yeah um those and, texts i was getting yeah, when George I, I, was like, dude, he is going to town on this thing. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I, he was like, you started, you, and that's, I think, when he's talking about what uh, the relatable fear, um, you know, uh, analogy he used with the, with the stray dog, I think that's what he kept seeing, you know, he's like, and it's like, oh, this is gonna be badass. You know, like, yeah. he started getting into it, and it really was. It was like, and then the minute we release it, I, 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 I on a personal level, I have texts from like customers of mine, friend customers, and that, going, dude, that thing's badass. When's it coming out? Yeah. So, I like yeah. the. So, I, I very much like this, the feral quality of Huber and, and it, it reminds me of, and I believe it, it's our first introduction of, of Huber in the back of the, the, the cab in the airport, I think, I, I yeah. think, yeah. but it's that, that launching forward kind of motion. That's what it reminds me of from the comic book panel. And yeah. from what, and I really want to like, I want to get my hands on these and play with them in person. But what I can see is it does look like this protrusion of the fangs is so effective that it conveys that animalistic quality. But as a mask wearer, these, these masks seem very effectively constructed insofar as um, you, the, the wearer is, is, is hidden. Like you're not seeing the mouth. You're not seeing, it seems like they're able to really we hide do, yeah. within okay these a variant these here. We pull the yeah, variant yeah. over yeah so one of the cool things too with immortal mass is yeah. that they've got the traditional hubert design here 
but there's variants as well. So yeah. there's this so, version of Huber. This one's a, a color we call Barlow blue as an homage to Barlow, obviously, like, um, where it floats somewhere between blue and gray. Um, and so, we, you know, obviously in seeing this and imagining him as, you know, as different versions of a vampire world, uh, we, we took this color. I have, I, have a, I, have a, I have a pale one that we're doing the bloody mouth on, and then I got um, I got one uh, flesh one with a five o'clock shadow coming. So it's like, oh, yeah, it's awesome. Gonna, and and, and by hair. the way, because as you know, with Lucas Kettner's vampire designs, werewolf designs, right. Billatombia zombie designs, all the monsters that are yet to come, uh, there are shades of the traditional monsters we know and love, but they always have a variation to them that makes them special. So like future uh, vampires, they're always going to have the the way that the jaw works in the world of Count Crowley. So like Oscar the vampire, right. or maybe some other vampires that exist in Count Crowley, if people really love the Hubert, it would be exciting to see the future sure. of like other variants. But like when you wear this mask yeah, and you, the- you stretch your jaw, this stretches with you. Yeah, so yeah. you made it so, so that, so that it, there's an area we call lip cupping and it's back here and that it, it fits over your own lip. So effectively the cool thing about doing a, a mask with outer teeth, because it really was important that, that this mask displayed this mouth. Um, so we get this really cool action, but because it, it covers your own lips, it hides your own mouth, mouth behind it. And you really do look like you have that distended jaw, that, that nasty bite. And we, we can, uh, we call it double chitting where you actually like um, you, you take your, your mouth and you kind of, Close it nice and shut with this interlocks really well. Um, yeah, it just was fun to watch the it. jaw, yeah, forehead. I mean, it's it's so wonderful. The difference between a silicone mask and like you know the the the, the cheapy stuff that you could get is like the, what the, the the effect of it is so powerful. When we when we shoot um our movement videos, so so on all of our our masks on our our website, they have a specific page and they have a, a movement video. And we usually start with the first color. So the movement video is of, of this one right here, of, of the flesh tone one. Um, when we see it do the thing that we're hoping that it does, is like a magic moment for us. It's like a, it's like when our world crosses the film world. And, and yeah, yeah. And so, and for in this case, it was, uh, and you'll, you'll see the magic moment if you watch the movement video, it's on the profile shot. It's when he turns, and opens the mouth really wide and we're like ah, it did what we were hoping it was gonna do it got you know it's like it, it opened really wide and it had this nasty looking bite and like that's I that's what we wanted you stuff that, that happens with the silicone mask was already there too we get good eyebrow movement and neck turning and it literally just kind of comes to life and we but since that mouth that was the one that got me and him back there you know like that we wanted to make sure that that uh that it worked the way that we were hoping it would work, and it did. And you can see it now, on the video. That was the first time we we don't really do uh we don't really do that many like retakes of our, our videos. It's kind of like I, I we have an actor that comes in and does most of our work with us. Um, he's pretty good. It's their quick fill videos. Um, and if we get it in one, we're always happy. And he, he did it, and that's the magic moment for us because so we know it, that it was organic and it worked the way that we wanted it to work. It looks really. I mean, it just looks really lovely and it's and it's it is that is a adjective that i think you can apply to monster mass when you are someone that is like it looks lovely and Beautiful. and and these variants i was really excited when i saw the variants because there's a three variants right now of yes. hubert right we have yeah. the barlow blue we have the pale we have sort of the classic kind of skin tone and then yeah. you can even kind of um have the hair removed yeah. and, and we're gonna do some stuff with with, uh, with with different ideas for hair on on, uh, on two of the new ones coming up um, and we're we haven't done the blood yet, so the blood's coming on the, on the new one. I think the pale is the first one that's going to see blood because it's a nice contrast. You know that that blood color against the pale is is really good. So we shot we always shoot them clean first, and then we'll send them back to paint again, 
and letting them out of the blood. And so the, the pale one's coming with blood next. So awesome. I'm excited to George show you guys is, that one. George uh, is breaking some news here. I, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. And then um, I already have. Uh, you heard it here. I first. have uh, a flesh one with a five o'clock shadow scheduled because um, we want to see a, a you know a gruff, rough you know yeah. having you know that that guy. And then um, and I think we're gonna do a, a dark hair on that one too, just to see what it looks like with dark hair. Well, so, yeah. I want to be and I want to be mindful of time, but if you guys are good, I do. I have a couple other questions on this because. So David, you're seeing these things come to life, and you're seeing these variations. And these are now existing. Has that impacted your storytelling as far as like triggering this idea of like, you know, now that I'm seeing this, I have another idea for a story or well, I'll, I'll. So we have volume three, Count Crowley, now the mediocre Midnight Monster Hunter hitting shelves um, November 8th. And so I had finished all of the scripts for the new volume by the point at which I was seeing the magic of this dream coming together. And what it did for me, because I have got, I've been ruminating on where the story goes next. Because when you get into volume three, things go sideways very quickly for Jerry. And I hopefully am taking readers in a place that they never saw coming and will hopefully rip your hearts out a little bit, which is always fun. Um, but I, the, the, the importance, uh, and the threat that vampires present is so um, detrimental to Jerry's journey as an appointed monster hunter that what I wanted to do next with vampires now seeing what these guys have done with the mask inspired me in thinking about like how I want to push for future volumes. And then by doing that pushing in the writing, I'm pushing Lucas, who then in turn is turning in designs that are pushing these guys. To me, it's a symbiotic relationship of creature creativity that is kind of got an endless flow. If you're willing to take re risks and leaps, like these guys taking a risk and going, we're going to sculpt some masks and work out. And now me seeing that and going, holy crap. And by the way, there's monsters you haven't seen yet, which you're going to see in volume three, that when when these guys get their hands on them, I'm I'm like dying to see if they go, oh, we want to do, we want to do our version of no, see, that that's monster. Like, that's that's what I'm yeah, hearing. Yeah. yeah. Like, throw us a monster, I mean, you know? Even hearing that, you know, I, mean, I, I love monsters, so yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> and, and with, with uh, series three, a mediocre Midnight Monster Hunter of Count Crowley, November 8th is the first issue. I, I've seen that you're expanding the world to kind of includes child snatchers sort of milk carton kids um i don't know if it's true but i'm picking up a whiff of maybe satanic panic in there and that kind of previously you've tapped into sort of the media of that era and now yes. we're evolving a little bit more is this is this accurate or are you just kind of expanding 100 the 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 way hysteria works especially in fraught times where you know kind of the the hard price of um you know financial insecurity that you know you can see and because the the story set in the early 80s reflecting a lot of uh kind of boom and bust economics like we see in our time where you go from inflation to boom and inflation to boom and there's all this fraught you know stuff going on socially and it's like all of a sudden the kids disappearing and where the public's minds go as opposed to sometimes recognizing and acknowledging the truth is so much stranger than fiction. So like where maybe people think these kids are getting snatched by and who is snatching them, 
the truth is much darker, much scarier, much more nefarious, but human minds can't even comprehend what is happening to the children of Beloit. It's up to Jerry to have to figure out how to face this. And it's her most, even though she's been facing monsters from the get-go, her most supernatural foe yet, which I'm excited to introduce because I grew up in Kansas, and I no matter what part of the country you grew up in, the world for that matter, your local lore, your local mythology sometimes was the most haunting because it felt the most applicable to you and there was personal yes. connections to it. So there's that. And then of course, um, the, 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 the just to tease it, but you'll see if you look at the cover that's been dropped now from Lucas Kettner, I am, you know, I have a deep affinity for uh, everything from James Whale's take on it and Mary Shelley's origination of it to the, you know, the, 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 uh, the, 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 what, what, what happened with Frank and Hooker and that kind of uh, mythology around reanimated uh, corpse horror. And uh, we're going to get into that, which is some imagery I can't wait to share with the guys at um, Immortal. And, I love all the Kansas horror guys. Where you guys? Where you guys? Yeah, going? I know. It's wild, right? When you're out in the middle of nowhere, it's just like <laughs> Satanism and crazy shit that like your your childhood. But yeah, do you, I, you, you know Darren Bowsman? Have you, you met right? I know Darren. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So I've worked with Darren. The much. Kansas, like, the another, Kansas yeah, another, monsters. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah saw, saw and did, yeah, yeah. yeah. We did some Devil's Carnival stuff with him and. And then uh, Tech Nine, and there's a lot of my wife. Eat, my wife's from New York, and she's like, I didn't do any of the weird, crazy shit you did. You guys out in the middle of Kansas, yeah. like, got up to all the weird stuff because you had nothing to do with your time. But she's it, like, I could go to the Met. I could right, go down yeah. to the the museums. Right, I grew up in the San Francisco area, so I get it. Yeah. Well, it's you know, it's something I know we've touched on before, David. But this notion of the local folklore. You know, whether it's a every town has their version of a gravity hill, but every town also has their version of some uh, dog man or some sort of killer. And it gets really tasty when you start thinking about like, well, what if they're all real and they're all kind of maybe slightly different subspecies or whatever connected to the same monsters uh, and it. And, and in the world of Count Crowley, they are because the mythology yeah. traces all the way back. But I know, you know. Did you have a, did you have a local, I mean, like, like I, I know where I, where ours I, was the, cl we had a, a, a child snatching clown. There was a local satanic yeah. cult mythology mm -hmm. about this Satanists that were t sacrificing kids and animals out in the farms. There was a uh, mythology around, well, we had a real serial killer that was on the prowl when I was a kid that, that really messed up our, our collective consciousness, uh, Bob Burdella. Okay, he yeah, was yeah. more gruesome in many ways, in my opinion, than even the Dahmers of, yeah. like, of, of stuff. So, yeah, we had all that. We had Spooklight Road. There's a lot of ghost mythology, certain houses. Yeah. We had Stoll, Kansas, where there's an old abandoned church that supposedly was one of the seven gates to hell. Um, we had a lot of cool, crazy yeah. mythology. Yeah, you, you, I had the and Winchester Mystery House. I Winchester, I've been yeah. there. I love that. And, yeah. and a door slammed behind me and Eve once. We were alone in the in this room in the Winchester House, and we were like, ooh, it feels like somebody's in here with us. And I'm not shitting you. A door slammed. Even I were like, okay, we're out of here. But I will say this. I also grew up in like a pretty conservatively hyper-religious community. And I think in that community and that kind of mentality, sometimes the the fear of what's out in the darkness and the other can really thrive because it's usually not as much um, fact or science-based. It's usually its sure. own kind of modern myth-based. Sure. And and I, I remember... That was a big, like, there was no question in the household I was raised that, like, 
there were demons right. and there were monsters and there were ghosts. I was just saying, like, like, uh, like Catholic schools, right? yeah, 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 Jesuit schools. So, exorcisms so are a real thing, man, right? Right, so, so I was affected. I was those, those movies that affected me the most was like anything that was, um, religious supernatural exorcism, obviously, totally, me too, like still. Day, yeah, yeah, still gets me, yeah, yeah, it's. It's yeah, well, yeah. And I I mean, we've talked before. I was also raised Catholic. I was also raised like where these things are. Yes, they they exist. Exorcisms and demons exist. But the kind of curious thing, and this is something that I think Count Crowley kind of in a very savvy way taps into is that when you're focusing on the Satan is everywhere and trying to corrupt children and there's child snatchers everywhere and they're trying to take the kids uh when you're focusing on all, all of these things, it, in a way it becomes this moral smoke and mirrors that yes. then obscures the actual threats that are Your going. Your eye is not on the ball. Yeah. Right. And then you're missing the true threat, right. which is the, the way that monsters in the world of Count Crowley have come to get so powerful is they've recognized that humans are so easily manipulated through you know fear-mongering and fearing one another. So they've been creating all this fake news, all this fake you know it, data. So if you start reading the comic you'll see that wooden stakes will not kill a vampire and a silver bullet will never thwart a werewolf and you're going to think you know how to fight these things because they've tricked us into believing that we know what to do when they come um and i i think that happens to us in real life too with the bad forces that exist around us trying to separate us from each other trying to 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 keep us from you know um taking care of each other and and our and ourselves so uh hopefully that's the theme that you know can ring true for folks well, before I wrap up, I guess my question is, I think this is kind of a good segue to it. You know, we're talking about masks. We're talking about a mortal mask and the Count Crowley mask. But I want to know, what are the masks from your childhood that both terrified and delighted you? Maybe it's a trick-or-treating mask that you saw out there. Maybe it's a vintage, you know, plastic mask. Tell me about that time you saw one, that it, it sure. just got you. Go ahead. I know that tour mask, you know, like that old. Tor Johnson. Yeah. 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 Tor Johnson it, was legendary. You know, somehow that, like, I, I, you know, my dad's a dentist. Like, why would he, you know, but he loved that thing. And I, I remember two things about it. One, on my dad, it was terrifying. And then two, I remember that smell that it had. Yes. You know, like, yeah. like, it, like a, it was like a vinyl. It wasn't the latex that we grew up with because this is like, this is 70s, 80s. Sure. You know, sure. around that, that time. But that, that's my first thing with a mask that I remember. Uh, invoking any kind of emotional response for me. I had deep memories of going to uh, Woolworths and um, uh, Montgomery Ward as a kid and getting my first Halloween vinyl record, which scared the crap out of me, but being obsessed with like the Sherman style, like yeah, yeah, yeah. the box mask, yep. costumes with the plastic looking like a fire hazard kind of situation. Uh, there was a Bigfoot one that was one of the first I ever wore. Uh, the face looked like a werewolf, so I loved him, but he wasn't as threatening as the werewolf, the wolfman, because I werewolves were my uh, biggest fear as a kid. Uh, I had a clown one that was unintentionally quite scary. I've got a great yeah. photo of me as a kid in that. There was the latex melty man face with the eye drop, which was very, very popular, and I got that was like an investment. Maybe yeah. at that time yeah. it was like twelve ninety nine or something, but I used it for my basement or front door haunted housing. And um, finally... We had a neighbor who wasn't in horror. Any, I grew up in Kansas. I don't know what, I don't remember what he did for, I think he was a, a high school teacher, but he had a really, really well done 
Planet of the Apes mask. And I don't know how long he had had it, but this has been in like 82, 83. I'm a very little kid. There's there it was it was it the uh the chimp or the gorilla? Because they had a gorilla one too that was really cool. It was the chimp. It, it was it was he would just wear it around Halloween time and it put the fear of God. Something about seeing his eyes through the eye holes and him sitting there with the candy. Uh and oh crap, man. I it brings it right back. I remember, Are you sure? Um, like, like uh, kit bashing, like Halloween masks and stuff. Like, like, uh, I was never satisfied. Like, I, I with, you know, I guess it makes sense what we do now. But like, I was never satisfied with like the, what came in the box, the store box. So I wanted like, yeah, manipulate. Yeah. Like when we were kids, there was these things. They were called zany zappers, and they were like, they were, they were the first time you got like, they were glasses that had a little LED here, and you could press a button and they, they lit up your eyes. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember like thinking I was ingenious by sticking my set of zany zappers under a gorilla mask and then that halloween i was the one that had the crazy glowing eyes like that wasn't a thing in masks yet and so so i i, I remember at an early age like I, I was ahead of his i time. always wanted to out, outdo what my my friends did the neighbors did and stuff like that so that makes sense now yeah mask company <laughs> i love it well okay so i'm gonna do an ending and then we'll wrap up uh and then just hang on for a second afterwards okay yep all right. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me. We've been talking about the Count Crowley Midnight Monster Hunter, now mediocre Midnight Monster Hunter masks. That's a lot of M's. Available from immortalmask.com, available now, plus Series 3 of Count Crowley Mediocre Midnight Monster Hunter launches with Issue 1 this November 8th. So I would say it is a uh, spooky season is Count Crowley season. My guests are David Desmalchian and George Frangidakis. And we had some cameos from the Immortal Mask co-owners, <laughs> Andrew Freeman and Michelle Freeman. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. And I, I, I had such a blast talking about masks. And now awesome, I need to get dude. some. You're the best. Thank you so much, man. That was so cool. Thank and I'm Aaron Sagers. Here. And this has been Talking Strange. Until next time, be kind, stay spooky, and keep it weird. Talking Strange is a part of the Den of Geek Network, available wherever you listen to other podcasts. If you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. And please, subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv slash denofgeektv and youtube.com slash denofgeekus. And please follow at TalkStrangePod on Twitter and at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon for more paranormal pop culture content. Yeah.